Hello, 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 and welcome back to SpoilerCast, a Hungry Gamers offshoot that aims to inform, entertain, and educate you on one particular release from within the geek culture universe. I'm your extremely humble host, Brendan White. You can find me just about everywhere at Brendan8Bits, and joining me on this voyage, this perilous journey, my SpoilerCast podcast writer die, who can be found on the socials at Jono himself, Jono Peck. Welcome, but I'll keep going through this intro and circle sure. back to you in a minute. On this episode, we are tackling a game that was released on the 18th of October, averaging a Metacritic score currently of 83.5, developed by Sobo Studio and published by Focus Entertainment. This spoiler cast sees us tackling the action-adventure-survival-horror hit, A Plague Tale Requiem. And the setting goes as follows, listeners. Set six months following the events of the first game, siblings Amicia and Hugo de Rune must now travel to southern France to look for an island which may provide a cure for Hugo's mysterious blood disease. Hugo is frequently overwhelmed by his newfound powers, while Amicia must face the emotional trauma of killing enemies and other actions done to protect herself and her brother. JP, welcome back to SpoilerCast. How the bloody hell are you? I'm so happy to be talking about this game. Like, I've just been, you know, we've been trying, like, we've been messaging about it, but trying not to talk too much, but we just wanted to, to talk about everything because there's just so much in this game. So, we've been holding off and we can just finally let it all out. Uh, of course, spoiler free for the first little bit here too that's it that's it we're trying to keep all our spoiler centric thoughts well away from our sling we'll sort of keep them tucked in our back pocket until the latter half of this Mm -hmm. episode but yeah listeners if this is your first time checking out a spoiler cast the way this show works is the first half of this game or this episode or this podcast i should say john and myself will be talking all things a plague tale requiem from a spoiler free capacity we'll then give you a hard warning and a hard exit point for you to step away Go finish the game, go do whatever you got to do and then come back because after that, nothing is off limits. We dive into all the nitty gritty and we spoil all those big, traumatic, dramatic moments. (laughs) So JP, let's maybe start things off. We'll get some general thoughts. What did you think of A Plague Tale Requiem? Give me your thoughts now, please and thank you. I loved this game. Uh, It far succeeded my expectations. There were probably medium to high based on the first game which i didn't play at release it was more like picked it up on sale maybe a year after it came out and enjoyed it thought it was uh probably you know seven eight out of ten kind of experience um but still felt somewhat double a in that lack of polish that this game definitely has i think so when for, for requiem i went in blind i hadn't seen any of the trailers or anything um, but yeah, I was really glad to finally play a game that was built for the current generation of consoles. Uh, you know, not having its feet in the two camps of say PS4 and PS5, like a lot of games do. even Horizon Forbidden West and, and God of War Ragnarok that's, you know, not too far away, knowing that it's been built to play on both consoles tarnishes it a little bit as far as what they can achieve i think so mm-hmm. yeah seeing like thousands and thousands of rats crawling around in ways that wouldn't have been possible prior was uh, was pretty cool uh, and uh, you know overall i think that they're knocking on the door of naughty dog and santa monica studio in terms of weaving narrative into gameplay and making every single moment count as you go through this experience and i didn't expect it to hit me 
in that kind of way. And it, it really has that like, you know, if you're a fan of those PlayStation single player, third person experiences, this felt like it was in that camp for me. Yeah, I, I'm completely in lockstep with you as far as everything you just said. Like this game hits like a truck in so many ways and in so many scenes that aren't even telegraphed at times. There's just things that just occur and you're just like, oh, okay, um, I beg your pardon, what's gone down here? Why do I feel these things or why did this moment just play out right in front of my eyes? But yeah, my experience with requiem was of a very very high standard like i was a big big fan of innocence i played it at launch back in the day absolutely loved it completely agree with you that it didn't have the same sheen that this game does uh and also some of the other triple a compatriots out there doing this sort of uh, narrative based action adventure but this game the fact that it can tread the line between action adventure but also weave in a really great sort of like survival and horror aspect to the game. You don't sort of see that mix happen to this higher standard in the game space typically. Like, you know, your Resident Evils and your Silent Hills, they can tell a good story, but they can't seem to have this type of emotional impact, at least on myself when I've played them. Like, and that's not a detriment to, to Capcom mm. and, and Konami and such, but Asobo Studio and the writing team behind this game full pass marks like yes. you know top of the class <laughs> it is some of the best writing like you said it, it's one of the most impactful narratives that i've played in a game ever and it runs laps around anything so far that's come out this year from a narrative standpoint like don't get me wrong you and i both speak very very highly of a lot of other games that have come out this year but horizon forbidden west which is a melting pot of everything that I fantasize about. I love that <laughs> game, but this game impacted me more from an emotional standpoint yeah. than um, Horizon did. And that's, yeah, a testament to everyone involved. And yeah, I can't speak highly enough about this game. Yeah, I, I think they really did what a sequel should do. And they took it forward in like every possible way. They turned every every dial up. It's more horrific more gruesome more emotional it's it's improved in all of the technical ways as far as like the performance the graphics the you know the, the, the gameplay so I, I think that they should be really proud of what they've done and hopefully um yeah hopefully people are drawn to it because just from me raving about it on social media for example there's been a lot of people responding uh it, it sounds like people aren't like leaping on this as much as they should be. So uh, yeah, I hope that we can help turn a few people onto it. I hope so too. Like, and it feels very much like seeing that social chatter that a lot of people were hesitant to jump on to innocence. Like there's still been a few of my friends that have mentioned when I've been talking about it to them or on social, they're like, oh, I loved the first one. I'm so happy to hear this sounds great. I can't wait to jump in. But then there's other ones going, Hey, haven't played the first one yet what should i do there, there's certainly some um curiousness out there yeah. and, and i hope that equates to a lot of people playing this game whether it be through game pass or buying it on their other platform of choice because it is a game that needs to be experienced it is a story that is just so expertly crafted and over that you know 20 to 25 hours worth of gameplay i was just riding this sea-like wave of emotions that the happy moments the adoring moments where there's these real heartfelt silent moments between the the brother and sister you know uh hugo and amicia and and like really kind warm like just oh it made me feel all the nice things then on the other end of the spectrum there was parts where 
I was getting teary-eyed or I was actually crying or I was just like jaw to the floor. And the story overall was just, um, yeah, something that's going to stick with me for a long time. Yeah, there was, I can't remember specifically what it was right now, but there was a moment where my jaw was hanging wide open, like, did that just happen? Um, I I think I I know what it was, but we'll talk about that in the spoilers. But yeah, like there's so many little moments where just like in the the general way that you move around with the two main characters, you know, Amicia, her little brother, Hugo, like she holds his hand for and most it is of the beautiful. game. And, and it's, it's so well done. Like, <laughs> and it's not just a mechanic where they sort of magnetize them together. She'll sort of be saying, you know, Hugo, come to me or Hugo's like, Amicia, where are you? Like, there's this bond that's shown vocally, but also through those little scenes, like when mm. she lifts him up over like a, a ledge or over a little fallen tree or crawling through a, a, a crevice or something like that. It's just... There's so much attention to detail to that relationship that I just adore. Yeah. And you said it on Hungry Gamers as, as one of your favorite kind of pairings or duos in, in video games. And yeah, like immediately, like Ali mentioned Joel and Ellie, and that's a, a great one that's that's kind of coming from a similar place. But uh, I, th- I think, um, you know, Kratos and Atreus in, in God of War is one of those. Mm-hmm. And this is up there with those those duos where you build this bond with a character that's you know you're you're caring for usually um it's a parent kind of or surrogate parent kind of situation but here it's just two siblings that love each other and she is going through everything for this kid um to the point where you like i was even starting to question like <laughs> is it worth what you're going through for this for this child when with all the destruction that follows and that's that they're the tough questions that, mm-hmm. that make you sit there and think like what would what would i do if this was my little if i had a little brother or if it was my son or whatever like it really it, it can draw those thoughts and emotions out of you in uh the, the, the way that it tells the story which is I, I think a fantastic achievement uh for something that's set you know hundreds of years ago to relate to two characters so well yeah, like like it's it's nice to see that bonds are timeless. You know, like you said, this this is set six hundred ish years ago from from present day, and there's things that you see in the emotions that these characters experience that you are firmly in their shoes. Going, I would I would be like this, or how would I be like this? Would I be able to handle this? Would I bounce back? Would I just let go? And mm. it's just it hooked me uh, right from the jump. This this game, and yeah, I just loved seeing. Amicia rise and fall and rise again and fall and just seeing the emotional toil that this young teenage girl carries on her shoulders like it's literally the world on her shoulders and just seeing the the toll that takes on her and it's played out subtly in big moments and uh you know the the actress that that voiced her in the in the game itself Charlotte McBurney hat tip to her because she nails it the, the voice work, like all the lip or the mouth work doesn't always emote as strongly as I mm. wished it could, but yeah. the vocal delivery, <clears throat> more of that I was in. But uh, anything else you want to mention regarding the story before maybe we start weaving into some of the finer mechanics like the gameplay and yeah. weaponry and where applicable? As far as the story specifically goes, I, I thought that it was very rarely predictable and there was a lot of twists and turns and that was... Uh, that was very much appreciated. Like it's often in these games, you kind of feel like you know the beats that it's going mm-hmm. through, and that didn't really happen. There was a really big focus on the trauma, which you mentioned in the summary. 
um, the, like the emotional trauma that Amicia goes through. And I think that was handled as well as I've seen, like, you know, The Last of Us Part 2 was probably the game that comes to mind the most, and that was much heavier than it was here. But it's it still was an omnipresent thing that just was, you know, popping up all the time and progressing through the game as things get worse and worse for these characters. And I, I love that. I, I think that that's such a rare thing to show the consequence of... Um, of the gameplay and mm-hmm. the things that you do as the player in the way the character behaves. And there was, there was something that that physically manifested in that. And if you think back to like uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, you know, that's a game about Batman. He's, he's having like the worst night of his life. Basically he's fighting all these villains. It all takes place over one day. And by the end of it, his capes all ripped up and he's got like tears in his suit and it's really cool to see that physical uh, symbol of what he's been through. And in this game, we had a similar thing where, even though it's not over one night, but a few weeks at least, Amicia takes a beating. She has wounds that stay through the game. Her hair changes based on different things that happen. Um, and seeing those reminders of what she's been through really added to that overall experience of um of, of seeing yeah, the progression of, of the story mm-hmm. <clears throat> the, the only other thing i'll say about the story is i guess it ties into like the environments and i really enjoyed the variety of the environments the first game was from memory very much all kind of like castles and cobblestone and villages and um kind of navigating those populated areas with a bit of countryside thrown in but we had a lot more variety here as they travel across Europe um, without spoiling specifics. And I also liked that they threw you in with a variety of like traveling partners as you go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it keeps it fresh because it's not just Amicia and Hugo the whole time. It's Amicia and Lucas. And then it's Amicia, Lucas and Hugo. And then it's, you know, Sophia comes in and Arno- Arno- uh, Arnaud. How do you pronounce it? Arnaud. Uh, no. <laughs> I no, I, I call him um, poor man's Matt Berry because he was <laughs> he yeah. was hitting a, 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 some very flamboyant. He's like twenty percent Matt Berry, which is still a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like. I uh, completely no, agree yeah. with that, and I like with each one of those traveling companions. There was new gameplay wrinkles getting yeah. thrown at you, where they all had unique abilities that you could weave into working through the next puzzle or getting past the next uh, macular wave of of deadly rats or enemies and mm-hmm. it kept the gameplay fresh but also the banter that came from those um yeah. those companions as, as well like they weren't just silent uh co-pilots that were just standing beside you there was interactions with them and whether that be in the real world gameplay or in the cutscene. so you're starting to see these relationships develop and evolve as you get to know these characters more and it's really really well done yeah, it really was because they all have a different perspective. Like Lucas is coming from that alchemy and scientific background and then Arno's more of a soldier and Sophia's the the smuggler or the pirate. Mm, the and... sea scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the, the variety there and the variety in the environments helps keep the story fresh through the longer campaign because it's almost double or close to double the length of uh, of the first. Yeah, se- 17 chapters in total this game, so there, there is a lot of meat on that bone to chew off, mm. but 
it, it goes along at a pretty good pace. Some of the chapters are larger than others just due to the storytelling required in mm-hmm. those moments. But overall, that 20-odd-hour experience, like I didn't feel like I was once looking at my watch going, oh, my God, or jumping on Google, how many chapters are left? What have I got to do? Like I was fully yeah. invested in this experience. I was doing that, but that was because I wanted to make sure we could I could finish it in time to talk to you about oh, okay. it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, when it you know when it did finish, I was like, no, like I I want it to be at least another hour or two longer. Which you know, usually by the time you get to twenty hours, you're like, cool, glad it's finished, yeah. enjoyed it, you know, whatever. But I just wanted more, and I I even I even was looking through the menu like. Oh, is that new game plus calling like, out to you? Yeah, like what, like because you know you, you finish a game and then you have a new perspective and you're like, okay, maybe I'll go back into chapter one and see if I pick up on something that I, you know, didn't notice before. And yeah, yeah, the, yeah I would, I'm, I'm not going to play the whole thing through straight away, but it's a game that I'll come back to for sure. New yeah, game like. Plus. We're, we're very opposite in that regard, especially when it's a big story getting told. Like once I get that full beginning, middle and end and whatever resolution that comes off that ending, I'm usually like, no, nah, I've lived my, my life as a Missier and Hugo. That's my story now. I'm done with that. <laughs> I don't want to go back. But like there is some temptations because there is obviously collectibles that you can find along the way that can be nothing little moments, but like cute ones, depressive ones, all kinds of emotions come at you from there. And having to to replay it with New Game Plus, you can obviously play with the current skill set you've unlocked. So you'll have access to more abilities and things earlier on to be a little bit more powerful than, than you would have on your first playthrough. But I'm content with my, my one shot and uh, I'm moving on to the next thing now. Fair enough. But um, on the gameplay... What mm-hmm. did you think about it? Like, give me give me your thoughts on a Plague Tale Requiem from a gameplay perspective. Anything you wanted to highlight in particular? I think the variety in the gameplay is one of the strengths because pretty much every combat scenario you come across, you do have the choice of stealthing through or uh, being quite violent. Yeah. And that is, it's almost like the characters will comment on it and Amicia will develop perks based on the way that you play. And that's a great little way to make you think about the way that you're playing. And if you do select the violent path, which I often did, there was a variety of ways to go about it. Like there was the slingshot, there's the slingshot with, you know, different alchemy attached to it, whether it's fire or putting out fires to have rats attack them or using Hugo's ability to control rats or, you know, your other NPC companions to to assist as well. So I I just enjoyed that. It never felt like, oh, it's another combat section. Better get my slingshot out and and do a few headshots because even the enemies have different strengths and um, some of them can't be killed in certain ways. They have to be approached in a specific manner. So I I think that from a combat perspective, um, which, you know, we'll talk about, the combat specifically in the next section but that part of the gameplay i really enjoyed and just that mix of you know here's a combat section here's a puzzle section here's a section where you're not gonna uh, come across an enemy for maybe an hour and a half like you're just gonna focus on the narrative and exploring and progressing the story and i felt that that was 
necessary because it gets so heavy that you need those Ooh, yeah. light, lighter moments, especially as you, you know, approach the island that that was mentioned at the top of the the summary. Like it's a very beautiful setting compared to the bleak blackness of uh, the night and the the rats and everything that comes with them. So yeah, the the variety of um, the the puzzles, the combat, and the narrative unfolding kept me locked in the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I like that um, the game rewarded you based on how you played. Having those organic skill trees where you don't get to specifically focus on one of those three skill trees, it'll just uh, you know see how you go about your business chapter by chapter and bump up that progression accordingly. So it sort of adjusts on the fly to how you want to play. So I liked that, like you said, it kept things fresh and weaving in different uh, different stylistic choices when it came to moving that story forward or or working through the chapters where you'd go from one chapter where it was primarily stealth to then using some trickery to to sort of uh, distract enemies to get them over there or just the the puzzling element that came into it or just out and out murder it was kind of cool that you could play the game as you wanted but I also liked off the back of that and it actually sort of made me take my foot off the accelerator a few times where yeah, as a missia, and you're, you know, you're you're a one woman army at times, and you're killing killing all these, you know, militant people left, right, and center. But on the back of that, there's discussion going on from Hugo or Lucas or whoever saying, you know, like why stop killing? You don't have to be so violent. Like, are you okay? And you can hear the anguish in a missia for either killing or trying to justify it, or where she gets sort of pushed over the edge into these fits of rage. So you sort of start to sort of juggle the emotional well-being of the characters as well. So I found at times where I'm like, I typically like, I see that guy doesn't have a helmet on, get my sling out, I could headshot him. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm just going to try and stealth my way through these high grass, distract them over there, keep stealthing and avoid adding to the body count. So I liked yeah. that there was this sort of moral compass this game made me play with a little bit too. And, and then you'll come across a section where you come you come across like a real bastard of a enemy that makes you want to take out as many guys as possible and Amicia is you know reflecting that as well so yeah they very cleverly wove in that that choice as a a narrative mechanic as well yeah it was really well done and and ultimately i'm not sure if it like it feels like the story from front to back is set but like the way it presents itself in the game it feels like if you do lean too heavily into the chaos and the violence that it would have general like big ramifications down the line i don't think that's the way but the way the game is framed to you it felt like that to me where i'm like Mm. i've got to stop killing things here or i'm gonna get like the dark worst ending but (laughs) i think that was just done in some very very well placed uh storytelling yeah i do wonder what would happen if like if if you do a complete pacifist run if there are different uh dialogue you know not options but if there's different dialogue that comes out of the the characters if you if you play that way or if you go a full violent run if if that's also different yeah that would be cool definitely definitely so let's sort of focus in on on the violence and and the combat and the weaponry in the game like i i liked that it was challenging but also once you got in a rhythm and familiarize yourself with the weaponry and the skill set that amicia has it did feel really good when you can chain these abilities and the fact that you've got 
uh, you know, copious amounts of enemies coming at you in any given time. Like the game heavily leans into stealth as your friend, silence is going to see you uh, to live another day where if you go in there all slings blazing, there's a fair chance that a swarm of guards that are often heavily armoured and for some reason they all have like maces and stuff. Like they've got some like horrific weaponry that are coming at you. Uh, the second, the second you like down somebody and that body gets seen, everyone gets alerted. Everyone's hunting for you and are there to kill you. They're not trying to take you alive, and so it does reward you to be strategic in how you go about your ways. And you do have an assortment, like you said. There's uh, like alchemy-based variations for your sling. There's a crossbow you get access to, and then there's also the old trusty pot, which can uh, be <laughs> modified in a heap of other ways as well. Um, I wish that we had more bolts for the crossbow because you've got like a little holster on the back and for some reason from the base uh, level of the game, you can only hold two. So I don't know what all that extra space is in the back of that, uh, <laughs> that quiver, but the combat itself felt really good. And when you do take down these big waves of enemies or groups that you coming at you thick and fast, you do feel like a bit of a badass. It reminded me at times like very Metal Gear or, or uh, like uh, Last of Us-esque where, yeah, you, you sort of trigger an enemy camp and they all come at you and you've got to use your wits and, and think real swiftly and you're jumping and mantling over like bits of furniture or through windows and out doorways to try and get them off your scent to breathe and then reset and then put your next little trap at play and it felt really great when it paid off. Yeah, having all those different uh, approaches at your disposable makes you feel pretty cool when when you know you can plan a perfect run past a series of enemies and you think okay i've got two ranged ones there there's a there's a tank over there and there's a plague of rats there and there's a, there's a fire i can put out and i can throw some tar at that fire to blind him and then come in with a knife or whatever it is like there's just so many ways you can approach it and uh i, I enjoy that kind of plotting element of um that the, the that feeling of like, I wonder if this will work and then yeah. trying something that they might not even have in intended for you to to approach in that way and for having that pay off, it feels pretty good. It made me think of, um, and it's just a low-hanging fruit right now as well, but the old board game Mousetrap, but uh, we'll call <laughs> it Rat Trap for here, where you've got just this flow-on effect where this triggers that and interacts with this and boom, boom, boom. When it all chains, you feel like a master. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, graphics and performance. Uh, I'll just get the the negative part out of the way and say I didn't have any freezes, no crashes, no hard resets that I had to embark on on that 20-odd-hour playthrough time. So it ran pretty buttery smooth. I played on the Xbox Series X and you played on the PlayStation 5, correct? Correct, yes, yes. Yep, so we got the uh, the Warren Cousins direct comparison here and, yeah, it was, was smooth as butter on the Series X uh, outside of those uh, lack of graphical infidelities, the the photo mode that accompanied this game, uh, chef's kiss, I saw you lent into that heavily. I only probably put maybe 30 minutes total in it, just did a couple of big moments where it was just this gorgeous vista or this mm. horrific hellscape where I'm like, <laughs> I need a photo of this. But overall, the game looks great. Like you talked about the... The environments, those very diverse locations that you traverse in this game are gorgeous and disgusting in all the right ways. And the character models are really good, but circling back to that first piece where I said um, just the, the mouth work, 
left a little bit to be desired. Like you can see a lot of emotion through the eyes and the expressions, but when they're delivering some of these really emotional lines, the mouth didn't always sort of justify the the tone or the delivery for me. But overall, yeah, no issues performance-wise. Graphically, it feels like a nice big juicy AAA. And it reminded me a little bit aesthetically of like playing an Assassin's Creed game and some of the Assassin's Creed games of old where similar type of world, the character models look pretty close. The way you go through these hub areas, it all felt like it was similar beats to the Assassin's Creed titles of, of now and yesteryear. And, uh, you know, that's that's a testament to Asobo. Yeah, definitely. Especially for, I mean, I don't know how big they are, but they certainly were a, a much smaller studio for that first game. So to see them beef it up with this one's pretty cool. I, I had the same notes for that. Beautiful environments and character models. Triple uh, A, except for the lip syncing, which even, you know, some AAA studios have difficulty with at times it never took me out of the moment and i think they probably knew that it was an issue because after a while i stopped noticing it and i, I don't know if that's because they kind of masked it or hid it or <laughs> whatever it was but um yeah like the way that they're still able to deliver such emotional moments despite not having that full triple a polish is really really impressive mm. um i I also wrote that there was a remarkable lack of frame rate drops with the amount of rats and movement that's going on and the way that that has to respond to the player. When you're holding a torch, you can kind of herd these rats around. And I, th I think I read they had the capacity to have 300,000 rats on screen Jesus at once. And it was so good in photo mode. Like there was no clip, no clipping on the photo mode. So you could go in through walls and under the ground and through roofs to, to look around and some of those settings where there was like especially like there's a kind of a underground setting catacomby kind of situation where it was just like a millions rats of rats on rats, rats yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if, if you zoom out far enough they all disappear from the photo mode um, i noticed but yeah it, very very cool I, I did get some frame rate drops toward the end of the game and okay. i don't know if that was just a random thing um but up until that point i was very impressed by how well it ran and as soon as i died the frame rate picked itself back up again and dusted itself off so yeah and, overall and, and the loading yeah. times are on those deaths yeah. super quick to get back into your game after you get consumed by a mm -hmm. horde of macular rats yeah i died a lot so <laughs> very grateful for the quick, quick loading times yeah, and something else that I'm very grateful for is the music and sort of sound component of this game. Like Olivier Derivier, I think is how you pronounce his surname. Mm -hmm. um, he is an absolute master at his craft. Like this is one of the best musical scores that I can ever recall in a video game. Like just the the subtlety to build up the tension, and I think you can you'll add some more weight to this piece as well is second to none like one simple like uh well i don't know if you call it a strum like across like a, a string based a, instrument yeah like a cello kind of like a stroke or something yeah like yeah just this one subtle stroke across some strings and like you're on edge you're like oh no what is happening and this this soundtrack and this music it's like the heartbeat to the game and to the macula like the music and the score represents the macula and this giant ass plague of rats so well and it just perfectly 
uh, accompanies the general discussion and the voice acting, which we already touched on, which was phenomenal, I found. And yeah, I can't speak highly enough of Olivier Derivier. He is an absolute beast of a composer and I just want to listen to all of his things forever. Yeah, when I was um, kind of doing my summary tweet about the game and congratulating some of the you know, the publisher, the developer, he was one of the names that came up as an individual that has like somewhat of a status mm-hmm. more than any other individuals that seem to work on the game. So he must have um, somewhat of a, uh, I guess, reputation as, as a master, as you've pointed out. So, yeah. Yeah, he's done he's done in video games, just like super quick math. I'm just looking at his wiki, but I'm guessing maybe 40 games. Okay, wow. And and he's been he's been at it since two thousand and four when he did Obscure. He's done Alone in the Dark, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Black Flag, Ooh. Life is Strange. He did some stuff with with Life okay. is Strange. He did Vampire, which now thinking about Vampire, yeah, it did have some that. very heavy, intense orchest- orchestral sort of tunes. Streets of Rage Four, Dying Light Two, he did as well, mm, okay. and then obviously a Plague Tale. Like he's a very skilled individual, that's for sure. <clears throat> yeah, I felt like. The music added such a element of atmosphere to the story and to the environments. Like you felt like you were in fifteenth uh, century France, even though I don't know, maybe the music wasn't even like that back then. But uh, I'd like to think it, it was because yeah. it was phenomenal and it captured that world for me perfectly. Yeah, and you have like a variety of here's a happy marketplace and a hustling and bustling town. And then there's the actual score, like so. So that was a, like a diegetic music that's in the scene of what's happening. But then you have yeah the score that's accompanying you as you crawl through these filthy, disgusting pits of rats and guts and dead bodies and whatever else might be there. Yeah, no, I um, it it was like it, this game and the storytelling. You know, we've already talked about how top tier it is but that score over the top of it just further elevates it because those emotional moments carry with it so much extra weight off that score and yeah it's just it's going to stick with me for a long time like there's not many games like scores from video games that i remember like you know there's there's people in in our circles that can can say oh yeah final fantasy da 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 these songs by this person and know it off by heart i couldn't name just about anything but i'll be able to say when somebody you know asks me down the line what's the video game score that that you rate or that stuck with you and i'll be like yeah olivier derivier from um a plague tale requiem he's the man and i'm feeling very happy that one's finally stuck after 30 odd years of gaming for me (laughs) Uh, that's the last of us for me. The music in that game will will never leave me. It's it's special, but I couldn't tell you who the com- main the primary composer is for it. I wish I knew because it's also on another level. But... Gust- Gustavo, and and then an Italian name that I can't remember to pronounce. I okay, think. but anyway. But uh, yeah, let's let's shift. Yep. let's shift into. The negative part of the show here we're going to talk about nitpicks gripes uh, we didn't really encounter any bugs you mentioned some uh some frame rate drops near the back end but once mm-hmm. you loaded in it was all peachy keen again uh i'll just quickly rattle off a few of mine i think we've got a similar one here we could probably tag team regarding the knives so the <laughs> knife like the the sort of the, the stealth hidden blade mechanic is back in this where you use it to unlock 
treasure-based chests where you can also then, once it's unlocked, you get uh, currency, but also you can upgrade your weaponry there. But the blade also can act as a get-out-of-jail-free card when you're about to die and you've already been hit by an enemy. You can press um, X or A. I th- no, it's it's square. X or square for, for PlayStation or well, X for, play- for yeah, here, I, right? It was square for a melee response and then triangle for for, for the knife oh, okay yeah. all right so why or triangle for the knife sorry on the on the controller yeah. mapping and that would allow you to instantly kill the enemy that's uh, about to kill you but you'd also then lose that knife which could then prevent you from opening up the hidden chest later so there's this sort of russian roulette where you're like do i use this knife to let me see another day or do i just accept death or use just the standard x or a square-based attack to stun them and then run away, and then you've got the knife to get the thing, or do you just get that instant gratification? So I wish the knives were more readily available, or they could be upgraded like you could do with the sling or the crossbow. Uh, you, you got similar feels regarding the knives? Yeah, I I felt like there just weren't enough of them. Like, maybe I wasn't finding them all, but you'd, you'd maybe have one per chapter i felt like for me and you'd maybe try and save it or you know you could also use it as a stealth instant kill which was you know i think depending on how you upgrade or how you how violent you are you can start to use the sling for a yeah you can choke them quicker choke them to death quicker with the sling yeah but um it would have been great to because there's a lot of obviously crafting with all the alchemy. If you could craft a knife from materials that you find, like like in The Last of Us, where it's um you know scissors plus gaffer tape or whatever the the uh, the, the parts that make it up. So you are going to these crafting stations all the time. You are finding materials. So yeah, it would have I would have liked to have the knives as the option but i can see maybe they just felt like it was too overpowered and that's probably the same reason that you couldn't carry more than two crossbow bolts at a time yeah i um i agree and i think i think what you've just sort of explained it as makes a ton of sense uh on the crafting stations as well i upgraded to max level the bottom perk straight away so like i could just craft anywhere after that or upgrade anywhere so it made those crafting stations and the need to to have the knives to unlock these uh, you know, um, locked up crafting stations pretty much null and void for me after that because I just look for the resource um, and then just upgrade it whenever I chose. So, yeah, that kind of took that incentive out for me about halfway through the game, so I didn't really give a rat's after that. <laughs> but um, it's, it's funny. We, we talked about the gruesomeness of this game, but there's certain moments in this game where maybe you could have made it a little bit more gruesome. Like, they fully lean into bodies getting all their flesh eaten away by the rats and whatnot but when you're slinging rocks and other types of sharp instruments at exposed skulls at high speed that leads to instant death maybe maybe show me some more damage on the head there's certain there's a few certain enemies you kill and we'll talk about more of that in the spoiler section where i think it would have added even a little bit more emotional weight to lean into some of that violence and that realness with with some of those wounds you wanted a, a kill cam where it like slows down. Oh, and shows, the Soldier like, of Fortune replay of yeah. a rock going. <laughs> Maybe not to that extent, but like <laughs> to be able to walk over after I've yeah killed this guy with a rock headshot. 
yeah. and you look down and his head's all fine. Maybe even just some blood running down the, the front of his skull. Like you get the blood puddle behind them, but yeah, yeah lean fully into the horrificness, please. And then <laughs> also we did talk about New Game Plus earlier, but I've got no incentive to go back. So maybe if I was able to upgrade all those abilities in a singular playthrough, that would have been nice as well, but it still didn't take away from the fun I had in that singular playthrough. So yeah. JP, they're my nitpicks and gripes. Not not major ones, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's fun to, to nitpick. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of the voiceover for Hugo? Because there was times where I was like, this kid's really annoying, as many child actors are. And then other times it was like, ah, he's just a little kid. Like, it's that, fine. That's how I took it. Like, I didn't have any, any beef. Like, there was a few times there where I'd wish Domicia would slap him when he was carrying <laughs> on. But then I'm like, you know what? This is how kids of that age yeah. carry on. So, I get it. So, I think it was really well handled. Like, we were talking before we recorded. Like, he was handled by a young young chap named Kit Connor, who looks... No, not Kit Connor. He was handling Lucas, sorry. Yep. Um, Logan Hanan, or Logan Hannon. I don't know if you, how you pronounce it there, but... But little Logan voiced Hugo, and and I think Logan did really well playing the role there. Uh, looks of the age, so similar tone and delivery you'd expect from from Hugo. And yeah, I got I got no uh, qualms with with the little chap. Yeah, I'm trying to find out how old this young man is, but um, he he played the same role in Innocence in 2019, so he's pre definitely prepubescent. We can mm-hmm. say. Uh, other nitpicks, I did not find Sophia to be any help at all as an NPC. I mean, she had an ability to cause distractions, but uh, f- for people, this isn't a spoiler to say, she's the, the smuggler, the pirate the character. Scorpion. I expected her to help me in the way that Arno did, where you could kind of sick him on people to attack or that she could do some stealth attacks or something. But you're there as this 16-year-old girl taking out soldier after soldier and she is standing there alongside Hugo or Lucas just kind of watching and I'm like, do you want to start helping at some point? Uh, And then there's another section where you're fleeing from rats with Hugo and and you're carrying him basically, pulling him along. And she just nicks off. Yeah. Like she's like, <laughs> she's, <Later. laughs> she, she, she's she's kind of like your guide to which direction to go. Like there's a practical reason for her to be ahead of you, but in like the narrative sense, you know, I just come at everything from a narrative perspective as a writer, and I'm like, you don't want to like help us up the ledge or something. Like you're the grown up, and we're the kids. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like. Peace out. I'm out of here. Follow me if you can. If if they added a couple little animations where you are lifting Hugo up the ledge and you could see Sophia's arm just help pull him up and then she keeps running again, I think that would have really changed the yeah. the feeling and the vibes in there. I didn't think she was useless in it as an NPC. Like in those running scenes, yeah, it felt like she was doing you dirty and just leaving you for the for the rats. But in in the moments where you had to use her reflective powers. It was really cool, especially when you come uh, come back to Marseille later. I mean, to Lacuna later or the island later, and things have changed, and you've got to use her ability to to navigate your way through the darkness. Uh, I thought that part yeah. was really really cool and and, and on on edge. But um, yeah, I got no qualms with Sophia, and and she did say in there a few times uh, that that she does she avoids violence, doesn't yeah. doesn't like killing. So I get why she was hesitant yeah. to to not. <laughs> stab people with this piece of glass she's carrying, I guess. I think that was the workaround for not having her 
assist you in, in combat is to have her like a, a, averse to 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 violence yeah she's um, a pacifist pirate yeah it was just it just went against my expectation for for who she was when we first met her i suppose and i was like a little help here like I, i'm literally being clubbed to death by a giant man and you're kind of hiding so thanks a lot sophia <laughs> Um, they also had the, they fair. also they also had the old um, the Last of Us style uh, issue where if an enemy sees one of your NPCs, there's no alert no. at all, and they're just like crawling straight past them in full view. And I understand that from a programming perspective, it's really hard to have an NPC stay in cover and not be seen. Um, but there are clever ways that you can kind of avoid that because it does kind of break the immersion a little bit. It's forgivable, but it's just something. Uh, the last thing that I would complain about uh, in a nitpicky way is the collectibles. So you had what they call souvenirs, which were these really cool moments where you come across something and the characters will talk about it. And um, it's it's almost like a, a world-building exercise and i missed most of them i feel like i'm a, i'm pretty thorough but whether it's because it's like in a it's a secret that i thought i could come back to later and i couldn't or if i went down i went into door a instead of door b um i, I missed probably 70 percent of these things yeah because there, feel, was, there yeah. was 21 collectibles and 12 feathers if yep. i recall and I got, 12 I got, feathers slash flowers Yes, and I got five of, of each of them. So I'm, I feel like I missed a lot of cool world-building moments um, that maybe that will give me some incentive to go back and play again. Um, I thought it would have been cool to have, as most of these games do, like little bits of, of um, things you come across where you can read like notes and letters and diaries and that kind of thing, but there wasn't really any reading. It's none of that, yeah. In this game at all, and that could be by design where i guess in the 15th century not everyone could read and write so maybe that was going for realism um at, at the time it's all about pictures baby and yeah. then a bit of latin <laughs> <laughs> yeah so maybe that that's not a fair nitpick but it, it did stand out a little bit like oh you know i wouldn't mind learning about this world at my own pace and often in in games like this there's too much of that stuff and I start to ignore it eventually. So I guess some restraint was shown there and they just kept it to those souvenirs that you find. Yeah, I, I like that. I think if you did stumble across various notes and books, it would get a bit too much. So I liked the more subdued storytelling through those through those moments where you you unearthing these little little scenes and little vocal lines through through the collectibles because there's some really cute moments. There's a couple where you're like, ooh, that's kind of actually pretty morbid. But it's really nice to see uh, these interactions, whether it be um, Hugo and Amicia having it or, you know, Amicia and character X or Y and just the discussion based around that, uh, that collectible. So, yeah, I found, yeah. I think, nine of the feathers slash flowers and 16 or 17 of the, the other ones. Yeah. So I found a good amount because I was constantly just digging around and getting off that beaten track. Mm, yeah. One of those moments was actually in my more memorable parts of the game, which we'll talk to very soon in spoiler territory. Mm -hmm. So 
really well done and yeah it makes me wish that you know i'm, I'm kind of tempted to watch a youtube video of all those moments but then i'm like do, do i save it for my next play for through in a couple of years we'll see yeah like if you're going to play through it again i think just wait but for myself it's probably never going to play this again unless there's some kind of weird <laughs> dlc i will maybe just go watch all those youtube moments because mm. there were some really beautiful and tragic little exchanges there that are well worth your time. So, uh, JP, let's let's wrap up this spoiler-free portion of spoiler cast for a Plague Tale Requiem. Give me your final spoiler-free thoughts. So, I've had no exaggeration. Five different people ask me in the last week whether they need to play the first game to play this, based on how much I'm raving about it, and. I've event like at the start, I think you and I were both like, you know, it carries on straight from innocence. You should play it, you'll understand more, you'll get the references. But by the end of it, I was just like, this game is so good. Uh if if it's gonna stop you from playing this, then just skip innocence because you can get enough from just watching a YouTube video, yeah, a recap, maybe what specifically watch the last boss fight in innocence because it's really interesting and different and crazy so i feel like if you know if you've got xbox game pass and you haven't played innocence and you don't want to spend the 11 hours on a game that isn't as good as this one just play this like don't let anything stop you i know what it's like when you want to play the first game and because you want to play the first game before you play the second game, you really just never end up getting to it. So just just skip Innocence, if that's the barrier to entry. Because this yeah, game's I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. Just just jump on YouTube, find uh, Last of Us... Oh, not Last of Us. A Plague Tale <laughs> Requiem. No, fuck. <laughs> jump on YouTube and find a recap video on A Plague Tale Innocence and just watch that, whether it be 10, 20, 30 minutes, however long it goes for, just watch that, get up to date, and then dive straight into this... Uh, and yeah, if, if you're on PlayStation, you can buy the game in full. If you're on Xbox, it's on Xbox and PC version of Game Pass. So if you're already a member, download it straight away. And if not, you can sign up for a month for free for $1. So you can play mm-hmm. this game for a buck and then yeah. jump onto other games as well. So you're doing yourself a big disservice if you want to play all the best games of 2022 and you don't play this due to the the fear of not playing innocence yeah yeah you're being very very short-sighted so watch a recap then dive into this because it's special play innocence but if you know that if you know yourself well enough to know you're not going to play innocence then don't (laughs) that's that's, just know yourself but yeah this this game's phenomenal Uh, i think it's a resounding uh rubber stamp eight bit approved from both of us it's going to be in our very humble opinions here on a lot of people's games of the year lists and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, listeners, here is the the hard exit point where if you don't want anything spoiled from you for, from us from here on out regarding a Plague Tower Requiem, hit pause, go play the game, go get through those 17 chapters, circle back because this is the last warning before we go through all of the spoilers. And we might start, we'll give you the really quick elevator pitch, very broad stroke play-by-play of the overall narrative. We're going to sort of uh, tennis match this style. So I'll I'll take a few hits. JP will hit them back to me and vice versa. So it starts as follows. The crew flee Guyane and head head to province. 
seeking assistance from a group of alchemists called the Order. The, the Macula arrives in province and things turn to custard very quickly. The crew attempt to escape, encounter a host of bad guys, one such being a former knight called Arno, who we've already mentioned earlier. They strike up a deal to sail to an island that Hugo keeps seeing in his dreams called Lacuna with the help of a smuggler named Sophia, a.k.a. the Sea Scorpion. <laughs> Arriving at Lacuna, they discover the residents worship Worshipping a pagan deity called the Child of Embers. More drama ensues as Arno tries to pull a fast one in a revenge plot against Victor, the Count of Province. Uh, Sophia, Amicia, Hugo and Sophia proceed to explore the island, infiltrating a ritual being held by Victor and Emily, discovering that they lead a cult that unknowingly worships a previous macula carrier as the Child of Embers. Delving further into an ancient order temple, they don't manage to find a cure, but instead find clues about the child of embers known as Basilius and his protector, Aelia. More exploration leads to a massive underground temple where they discover Basilius was locked in an underground prison by the order in a futile attempt to contain the macula as it crossed the last threshold. They narrowly escape the temple as it collapses and return to find Lucas and Beatrice, Amicia's mother, have arrived at Lacuna, but before a family reunion can take place, the Count attacks Amicia and tells her of Emily's plan to adopt Hugo and become mother to the Child of Embers. Emily kills Beatrice in front of Hugo and Amicia, which draws out his rage in the form of a huge swarm of rats that kill her as the Count watches and flees in anguish. Amicia, Lucas, and Hugo then rescue Arno and, re and reunite with Sophia to escape the island, but are intercepted by the Count's naval attacks as he takes Hugo back. Arno battles the Count and is killed, but only after opening up an opportunity for Amicia to take her revenge. Despite their efforts, Hugo has given himself over to the macula, and a dark cloud blocks out the sun and allows the rats to spread unchecked, destroying Marseille. We then head into the center of the nebula, the big, uh, the, the dark cloud that we mentioned there, where Hugo tells Amicia that now he has fully merged with the macula, the only way to stop the rats is to kill him, which Amicia reluctantly does. In a post-credits final chapter, Amicia prepares to embark on a journey a year later to find the next macula carrier and protector so that she can help guide them. Before she leaves, she pays her respects to Hugo's grave. Even just reading these quick little dot point play-by-plays, JP, my emotions are boiling over like Hugo's constantly was as well right now. I'm feeling very vulnerable. I'm feeling very raw. And maybe we can jump into right off the top here, our favorite slash biggest or like you know most memorable moments in A Plague Tale Requiem. So JP, take it away. So we want to go one by one because I've got so many things. Yeah, yeah, we can we can mention. go one by one, and and I'll add in where I can, and vice versa. Yeah, I, I'm going to go chronologically um, for for what I encountered. So the, the first big moment for me was when Amicia decides, in a very adult decision, to part ways from her mother and Lucas, and for her and Hugo to split off and go their own way. That was like a whoa, like. She really is taking on this role as Hugo's protector, like literally to the point of saying, see you later, 
to her mother. This isn't like in a time where they can just send her a text and be like, we'll meet you after we're done. Like she might never see her mother again, but she knows that to get Hugo the best protection possible, they have to part ways and do things their way. And that was a, a moment earlier in the game that I was like, it was it was an understated moment where they just looked at each other and there wasn't any dialogue about it. it and it was just a look in her eye that was just like, this is what I have to do. And forgive me because it's, a you know, I know that it, that's, it's hurtful. And that just set the stage for, for the rest of the game and way more intense stuff that would follow after. It, it was very big and, and I completely agree with you on, on that moment being one of the, the, the biggest and most emotional ones that, that stuck with me through that whole piece because uh, Beatrice and Amicia had very different opinions on what was best for Hugo. Mm. Beatrice was like, nope, we need to get him in front of the order because they're the best alchemists in the world and they'll find a cure. And, and you know, they meet this lead alchemist um, in one of these French cities. It all turns to hell. He dies in this, but before that sort of says, you've got to get on this boat and, you know, go down here to the rest of my order brethren and it'll be fine. But on the back of him, you know, trying to treat and make Hugo better, they're sort of saying, we're probably going to have to, you know, lock you away and, and experiment on you and all this. And Beatrice, who is also an alchemist and, and ties into that methodology, gets the scientific requirement. But Amicia sees it from the human element. She's like, no way, this is my brother. This is not what's best for him. You can see the emotional trauma and the strain. We're getting the hell out of here. I love you, mum, but you're an idiot in this case. <laughs> See you later. And yeah, that silent part where Beatrice and Lucas are just, you know, floating down the waterfront still where um, Hugo and Amicia are sort of standing there saying, catch ya, we're out. Like, it's huge. And yeah, it sort of reflects later in some other big pivotal scenes with these same characters. So... Yeah, that's, that's great. If, well, if you're going chronologically, you keep working through them and I'll jump in okay. where I can because I've sort of just got scattershot moments yeah. where I haven't really timed it out. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Uh, the next one was, you know, apart from like the really cool moment of exploring this colourful island, when you <laughs> you meet uh, the Countess and she's way too kind and nice to be true, like as soon as you meet her, it's like, okay, she's got something crazy about her. Mm. Um, and then you discover what it is when you go to this ember child ritual. Uh, the, it's very the dark underside of this seemingly idyllic and um, peaceful island is this cult where they worship this child who, um, you know, brought about the the first plague. And you're wearing the creepy masks, and there's and the robes. It's it's robes. it's very uh, yeah. very uncomfortable, but it's yeah it. it it hits all those typical uh, pop culture based mm. uh, culty tropes as far yeah. as everything you do. And like. And you're in there and you're seeing like, oh, like Lucas, uh, not Lucas, Hugo isn't the first one. Like it's a, it's a thing that's been passed down through, through genetics or whatever it is. And that's kind of when you go, okay, there's something bigger than just um, what he's going through. And do you think. Because it doesn't really get mentioned either way, but it feels like when they're sending, like when they when they say, "Oh, you know, you've been chosen," they don't know it's Amicia and Hugo hiding under this mask and the robe, but they're like, "You're the ones to go signal the latest interaction with the, the child of Embers." Um, do you think they're sacrificing people? Like, it feels to me that there's a there's a fifty fifty chance they either come out alive or they don't. But 
either way it's for the child of Ember's greater good. That felt like that was, was a bit yeah. of human sacrifice going on in there, right? It was ambiguous, I think, deliberately. Uh, they Because I think it would be too dark for them to just be like, yeah, some of these kids aren't going to make it out of here. And they never like chased after you when you disappeared or or anything like that. So that's where that's where I, that is where I thought it was going. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that they didn't go that way. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly felt that they were alluding to it in, in certain aspects. Mm. But yeah, the the scene then goes goes a little bit pear shaped. Anyway, what's what's your next one after that? The next one was going into what I call the raticombs uh, underneath. <laughs> Excellent oh. wordplay, by the way. When I saw that in your notes, I'm like, I know that's not a typo because you're very thorough with your wording. I knew that was part of the play. So I hat tip to you there, young sir. I was going to call it rat catacombs, but no, rat raticombs it is. And it's just like the deeper and deeper you get under into these catacombs, the more disgusting and rat nesty it becomes until you find the remains of that original carrier what was his name uh, basilius basilius um and that's such a sad heartbreaking moment of his his face like his face is still crying out in pain um and just turned into whatever he's he's become he's become with, with like this husk and and he's chained yes. up like he's in yes. this giant big big tomb area that's they've converted into a prison and he's chained up and that whole lead up to where you find basilius and they um they discover, uh, like, Alien. They find, like, who was Basilius's protector. They mm. see Alias corpse there and, and all these type of really powerful moments where Amicia and Alia have this kind of silent respect for one another, even though Alia died, I don't know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. But she sort of was like, I know what you're going through. I know you went through. Mm. I'm so sorry for you. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was really, really powerful. But, yeah. Sam Basilius tied up and then just connected to the giant um, macula horror show that surrounds this tomb was a, ugh, it was gross, but it was great. Yeah, and then escaping that with like the big bulbous kind of like rat uh, gestation pods, I guess for lack of a better term, it was very alien like, and um, it reminded me of like the collector ships in Mass Effect where they mm-hmm. kind of um, harvest all the all the bodies and turn them into to, into different things. So really creepy and escaping that as any time that you're running, sprinting, and being chased by rats, I was just like, yes, this is this is excellent. <laughs> it was great, but I'll talk more about that in another part here. There was parts of it where I was really on board with the the running and the chase scenes, mm-hmm. but then yeah, others not so much. sure. Uh, and then I suppose the next major thing would be when you have to watch Amicia fight the Count when she's very badly hurt and he slices her up and then you have to watch... He cuts her ponytail off, which I don't know if there's like a cultural thing there, but I know like that's a pretty humiliating thing to do to someone. Uh, and then forces you basically to watch your mother die and i think i think that was my jaw drop mine too because it happened out of nowhere like i didn't expect to see old beatrice get her throat slit especially with you right there at the forefront then obviously hugo sort of comes out and sees what's happened seconds later as well and that was a big big emotional moment for me yeah 
that was, and it was also like, there was a couple of moments in this game where I was like, is Amicia going to die? Am she should have. Have. Seriously. <laughs> Especially after a- that scene. Like she got cut up a couple of times there. Mm. And then after that, she gets knocked down arrow. those stairs, gets her shoulder dislocated and, and a few other things going on. And she's probably got some some head trauma because well, Arno had, right yeah. at the front yeah. splits her head open with the butt of his sword in the first few chapters mm. really badly. And she's got a hectic scar, which is, uh, you know, animated really really well by the way it looks yeah. great in the way it sort of gleans in the certain in certain light like a proper gross flesh wound does i mm. really really enjoyed that yeah she's um she's channeling mick foley or something with with the beating she <laughs> yeah. takes it's it's it dislocates the shoulder down the stairs then she takes three slices from the sword um and i i did notice like maybe the armor was part of the reason that it didn't completely you know, take her out. And then she took an arrow through yeah, the... Yeah, right through the guts. Through the guts. Uh, she's tough. Um, that that might funnel its way into my nitpicks a bit later where we, you know... She was too tough, you're right. She's, she's a bit too tough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the next big moment after that, I suppose it was in that section after that took place where, you know, Hugo sicked the rats on Emily and... Um, came very close to letting the macula take over, but it didn't quite, but it was enough to put him in that kind of brain dead state where he was a walking zombie. Um, and there's a collectible that you find in that next section with Hugo and Lucas where Amicia just collapses and she's grunting and panting and she's in pain from her shoulder still. And she got, you know, sliced open um, or took a couple of, of nicks across the front side with uh, with the sword and she starts praying she's like lord like she says lord and she's like crying out to god and i just feel like that's such a um human moment of of uh, vulnerability uh to show that in an optional sequence that a lot of people may not have even experienced it really stuck with me because that was uh something that captured the trauma of what she's going through the um, the tr- the trauma of watching her mother die, the futility of Hugo in his sickness and her own physical pain at the time as well. I just felt like that was such a cool moment for a video game to focus on. And and we've, we'd seen up to this point throughout the game moments where she'd killed too many people and was being affected by how violent she was or where she had like a almost like a panic attack and another character had to i can't remember if it was lucas or hugo but they had to kind of take over as she recovered from whatever was going on in her head so they did take a lot of time to to focus and emphasize on on the mental toll that it takes to be the protector of this kid i dug that a lot yeah like um they didn't romanticize any heroism with, mm-hmm. with the Missy at all. Like she was a human character and she was broken and hurt physically and emotionally throughout this entire game. And they didn't sugarcoat it that she's like, no, 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 no. Look, I've got my cape on and, and your, your words or, or your actions cannot hurt me. Like she was struggling every chapter of this game and seeing those, like you mentioned, I know that exact moment with that uh, collectible, where you can see that that she is 
pretty much, you know, she's on the on the doorstep of death slash giving up completely, and she's just reaching out, looking for something to to keep going and keep moving forward. And there's a few moments like that in this game that just, uh, yeah, just just really emphasize the the trauma that this poor girl carries with herself from not only the first game but all these other things she has to enact and embark upon in in requiem as well and yeah for a 16 year old girl to uh act the way she does and say the things she does in this game i think it's very 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 accurately represented as far as how you'd be feeling in those moments and and it's it's very relatable like I, i'm not saying as in like i've killed people and survived hordes <laughs> of rats but like i feel i can very 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 strongly empathize with with how she's feeling in that moment and yeah. I can get down to her level and feel equally as horrible as she was in those moments. Cause yeah, this, this game made me shed a few tears a few times. And that was one of the scenes where, where I got a little bit uh, watery in the eyes and I just wanted to try and give her a big hug, but I couldn't. Yeah. And you just got to watch it play and you can't move the character in that moment. Like you yeah. can't go, you know, All right, I'm done with this and try and move the joystick forward and, and keep going. You actually have to let it, those scenes like play out and then, she regathers and, and gets back up on her feet and then moves forward again. And it's very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. The next thing, I didn't write this one down, but the, the death of Arno was uh, a tough one to to swallow because he's a character that you hated and then loved and then hated again and then loved again. Um, and the Matt Berryness of him, I, I loved him. I just loved that guy and his sometimes quirky humor and and just lines that you don't expect from uh someone that was coming across at the start of the game as the, the main villain uh so for him to sacrifice himself followed up by you getting to finally take out the count with a slingshot where that there was, should have been a big that was, violent <laughs> visceral impact on that skull of the count there fyi yeah did you want to say anything about that? that yeah, I, I loved... Arno was great. And I liked seeing the evolution and the de-evolution and the evolution of that relationship where they didn't trust Arno at first. You know, Amicia saves him begrudgingly because Hugo's like, no, you can't let him die. You know, in down in one of these uh, macular nests. Mm. And then you see this bond develop as they travel across countries and share the sea together and... Then seeing the moments, not only just with Arno, but also with Sophia and Lucas, the moments they have with Hugo, like the way they talk about him and the the interactions they have and the adoration, the love they all share. Like there is this very big misfit family by the end of it where they're all there doing what they can to try and support and help Hugo and then Amicia at the same time. And I really loved this, this very, yeah, misfit surrogate family that uh that Asobo put together because the characters it's not a huge ensemble of sort of lead characters but they're all very memorable and they're all very unique and flawed and great Mm, yeah definitely and that takes us to I guess what you'd call the ending of the game at least the last sequence you know when 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 Hugo's in his little pod of uh protection just sending wave after wave of rat pulsing out from the center. That mm-hmm. is a set piece and a half. Um, I love that this game has so many set pieces compared to the first game, like so many things that you'll just remember visually um, and want to take photos of. And 
to get through that and to find him there at the end, looking a lot like uh, Basilius, how he found his fate as, you know, I guess as one with the macula was uh, heartbreaking and you knew what you had to do as the player. You knew that you had to take him out. But when the moment came to sling that rock at him, like that's probably the hardest thing that I've done in a game that's not an optional choice. You know, there's a lot of um, tough choices to make in games. uh, But this wasn't a choice. You had to do it. Um, I, I did have a very similar moment in The Last of Us Part 2 that I probably shouldn't mention in case people haven't played it yet. But when you have to do something that you don't want to do, uh, when you have to kill a character that you don't want to kill, um, that is tough. And they animated it to perfection because mm-hmm. up until this point, when you hit L2 or left trigger or whatever to do the slingshot, it's the same animation the whole game until this point where Amicia does it as if you would when when you're about to sling a rock at your little brother that you've been trying to protect for so long. It's a slow animation and the swinging like to wind up the shot is slow. And then if you're like me, you stopped there and she puts the rocks away. And then she does, and she says something like, or she groans. She makes some kind of like indication about how hard this is to do. But if you want to finish the game, you have to do it. So, you know, you you take that shot and cut straight to credits. And you could have knocked me over with a feather at that point. Like, I haven't felt that way from a hard credit, you know, drop since the first Last of Us, which if anyone knows how much I love that game. That's saying a lot because that was nine years ago. And to just have those credits roll and just breathe and just feel like... Just to be in disbelief about what you just did and had to do and how you felt, it's just something that you can't get from anything but a video game like this. I agree. And and this... This moment for me was after that that rock was slung and I love the way that they cut it. They didn't show any impact or any any repercussion immediately. It was just you hear that, you hear that noise and then cut to credits. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like my mouth was open. I put the controller down. I'm sitting on the couch and I sort of just sat back on the couch and was just collecting my thoughts and I had some tears in my eyes and the dogs could sense I was a little vulnerable at that moment. Mm-hmm. They both sort of came right up on, on me and sort of sat and laid on my lap. And I just let this 20 plus hours just sort of flow right through me. Like I just reflected on this journey and ultimately, you know, you go almost to literal hell for your, for your brother to, to save him from the macula and, give him the best life and ultimately knowing that that whole journey was for naught and then the role of the protector that you've played for so long for Hugo and then you end up in the ultimate, I guess, representation of protecting the greater good by having to kill your, kill your brother. But just the the inner like discussions they have leading up to that where 
Hugo sort of trying to explain how things are and, and make Amicia see what has to be done. And just seeing that storytelling and just this wiseness somehow coming through this, I don't know what, eight to 10 year old kid. I don't know what the age predicted age is for meant to be for Hugo, but he's, he's a young pup, but mm-hmm. the, the wiseness and the realization in him and Amicia to know what ultimately has to happen to save the world just sunk me like i like had concrete boots on and i was at the bottom of the ocean after this thing like i was just like my emotions donald glover community (laughs) meme all over the all over the place and like you said there ain't many games that hit you like this we've played hundreds upon hundreds of games in our collective gaming careers and this is right up there with the best of them as far as the emotional weight that it carried on my back the entire time and this is going to stay with me for years i think this game yeah it's 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 impossible not to carry <laughs> that with you after the experience that you go through and yeah it, it does make you as, as i alluded to earlier like ask these questions like sh- you know what would you how much would you sacrifice for one person that you love it, it is very similar to the the you know the last of us again in that that way of like is it worth going through this putting other people through pain to save someone that you care for should hugo have been protected at the like how many people died and will and will continue to die hundreds of thousands of people is my guess like yeah. that is a to lot save, of death on yeah. their hands to save this one kid that eventually he's just going to die anyway. Like she could go back into, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just messes with your head because I don't know that Amicia would do anything differently necessarily because you have to do what feels right in the moment, you know? And, and I'm, I, like I said earlier, like I can, I, I can walk in her shoes indirectly and, and completely relate and understand to the choices she made to protect like Hugo is everything to her. Like we're talking about Beatrice, the mum, who's just a just an add-on character for the most part. Like it's the mother, but you, we watch the, these games play out. Amicia takes on more of the motherly role than Beatrice does, and you know, that's not disrespecting actual, you know, family lines and stuff like that. But she is mm. the the sister, the mother, the protector, everything to this boy, and to ultimately have to to take his life after taking hundreds upon thousands of lives leading up to that moment. It, you got to feel for the poor girl at 16 years old to have all that with her for the rest of her life is uh, a lot to undertake. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we could talk about that all day and um, the wor- words really can't do justice to the emotion that you go through with with a, with a, an ending like that, I just think it's a real feat in storytelling, and it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like they've manipulated you. Um, Not at all. It just it just hits, and the pacing of this game and the the way that the story beats go from one to to another. It's I think. I know that it's not getting like 10 out of 10s across the board, like a lot of uh, games with that kind of emotional gut punch do. But to me, like this story is up there with with The Last of Us and God of War and and that, that level of um, of emotional storytelling. 
I completely agree. Fantastic. It is it is up there with the best of them. And uh, it, it tells a better story than 99.9% of games you'll ever play, I think. Yep, can't disagree. Let's uh let's let's get some some bugbears, some nitpicks and gripes out of the way before we jump into unpacking the ending and what may or may not be in store for a plague tale. So JP, I'm I'm with you on on your on your least favorite moment there and that is where you are having yet another interaction and run in with the count and you get trapped down in this cellar and you've got a there's two cogs at either end of this cellar to open up a a, a cell door to get out and ultimately reunite with your family mm. but uh it sounds like you got a little bit stuck in there eh I did not have a good time in that cellar <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it's a stealth based section where you have to flee and hide and push that wheel that turns very slowly but it just wasn't clear to me what you were meant to do because Amicia says like the the dialogue that she gets is maybe I can trap him in there in the prison in the cell so you're opening the cell door it took me long enough just to open it because he kept like I wasn't I guess I wasn't patient enough and I kept getting caught but anyway eventually open it I run through and I run through with him chasing me and I run straight past the door to the other end thinking <laughs> that I have to like get him stuck in there and go back and close the door with him behind the bars and of course he caught me in there cuz it's a narrow space and there's nowhere to run so the next time I sneak in there when he's at the other end of the room and I okay I see there's actually a door I can just go up to and interact <laughs> with um so yeah I didn't have fun in that section and it was one of those boss fights where in the game up to that point there hadn't really been boss fights and that's something I like I didn't mention it in the combat section but I I really enjoyed the waves of enemies versus the boss with the health, big health bar kind of approach to to combat that games sometimes take. And this just felt more like that where, you know, anytime that a game takes away your ability to attack, you feel a bit more helpless. It was very effective in having her injured and on the back foot and trying to escape. But that bit as the kind of, you know, meant to be the, the exclamation mark in the chapter as far as the, the gameplay and that, that escape from him, it just fizzled for me because it took so long. It sucked the momentum out. Uh, fortunately, it followed with a really powerful scene where, you know, we mentioned cutting off the ponytail and the the death of the mother. But um, yeah, it would have, you know, it would have bumped the game down like half a mark out of 10 for me overall just to have something potentially so powerful you know, it still achieved that, but it was a bit tarnished by frustration leading up to it. I, I had some frustration in that scene, but for a very different um, different reason. And that was because I think the coding for, for the paths, he was like, you know, he's circling around, like you get in there and then you're trapped and you've got to yeah, push these two, push these two wheels at either end to open up mm-hmm. one or two of these doors. But when I was hiding, he, he wouldn't like, um, widen his search area he wouldn't like because it's a big room yeah he was just sort of kiting around the one table i was hiding under <laughs> so i'm like what could i do here and then i'd get out and i'd get up to the to the wheel do a little bit of a push and then hide again and then he just kite that area over and over and over like he wouldn't and even after 
the you know the the visibility or the stress level of an enemy it's you know it's it's a white little teardrop icon and then it goes to yellow and then it goes to orange and then red when they can see you fully it'd go back to the neutral again but he wouldn't just then resume his general room search he'd just stay in these areas on a couple of times so i'd only get up to be able to turn the wheel for like half a second and then i'd have to run away again because he'd be 20 meters away so that area took a long time for me to get through because i had to literally like chip hide wait for it to do that time it again chip a little bit more hide so it added to the stress but it also added to the frustration because i'm like the coding is not working right he should be now over there checking that area instead of just circling this 20 percent area over and over again so that was frustrating for me yeah i think that was probably by design even though yeah it, there was some there was some funny stuff happening in there like with the ai as well where he'd see you go under a table and then you pop out the other side crouching and he'd look under the table and he wouldn't see your feet and legs on the other side of the table. He'd just be like, oh, where'd she go? Yeah, yeah. And then he'd go off looking for you somewhere else and it's like, I'm still here, but mm. um, I did exploit that. Yeah, so, so that, that was a bit annoying. Also, some other parts where uh, probably about midway through the game and you've, you've lost your items again, and you're trying to find some weaponry to, to fight a heap of enemies and get out. And you, you're walking through this like this storeroom, this like military storeroom, and you're hunting for your sling or something to protect you and Lucas from. And, and then you're like, Amissi's like, oh, look at all these swords and look at these staves and oh, spears. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, pick up the bloody sword then. Take the dagger with you. But no, nah, she's got to find the trusty sling. Yeah, That annoyed me. And... You mentioned earlier in the the parts you liked some of the running sequences. It felt like there was too many of them, and occasionally because it had, it had shift from you're either running uh, you know south north or north south, right. and when it when it shift perspective from the south north and then to the north south, it could be a bit jarring because you can't see what's in front of you. So being able to know which way to turn and you know I know it's there to add to the suspense, but there was a few times where I'd like clip a toe on some rat tail or something and then it just derail my momentum and then I get eaten by this wave of macular rats. <laughs> but there was a lot of running sequences. I reckon there'd be close to a dozen. Yeah, that sounds about... Uh, yeah, pretty much every major set piece had its own little section of having to run. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't mind it that much. I'd often stop and take some photos in, in photo mode at those, those sections. Um, but... Yeah, who doesn't love a good, a close, good chase, a good <laughs> a close shave? As it were. <laughs> All right, well let's um let's move into unpacking this ending. So you talked about um in in sort of the the notes there as far as in the post credits you've got a final chapter set a year after the events uh, where you had to had to take Hugo's life and Amicia made it made her way back to the 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 um the house out in the in the wilderness up on the the cliffside that the wife Beatrice or the mother Beatrice sorry owned and alluded to and that was the plan to go live in isolation in 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 the woods and so you're out there living there and then um, took Hugo with her too yeah took his body all the way there and buried him in this gorgeous open area which you go see because Sophia comes up uh, and she's got a couple of horses and you're about to go off to to find the next carrier and protector. But before you do so, you go up to Hugo's grave, you grab his pendant that he was wearing, you put his necklace on. Really, really, really beautiful moment. And then after that, though, 
we get another scene in a post-credits fashion where you're seeing a child in modern day. So we're talking, you know, 2022 or whatever, you know, somewhere around our timeline now where a child is strapped up to a ventilator and you can see signs of the macula on the child's skin. So Mm. JP, how are you feeling about a third entry potentially into the Plague Tale universe, but set in modern day? Are you excited for something like this? Yeah, yes and no. So unless, have they said that they're making this third game? They haven't, but I don't think you can have a tease like that and not be pretty confident that the third one's coming. I feel like that's almost like the classic horror movie ending where it's like, but the the thing's still there and it just leaves the door open, really. Um, that's a pretty standard trope in uh, in horror, as I'm sure you would know more than anyone. But um, I, I and, and it could also just be um, a statement on, you know, destruction will always find its way back into human, the human race or whatever. Uh, but if it is alluding to a modern day sequel or, you know, in the past 50 years, then that would be a, a way to keep it fresh, I suppose. Part of what makes this series interesting is that it's that it was set in the 14th century. It's not a period mm-hmm. that we get a lot of outside of your Assassin's Creed's and, and a few franchises like that. So I wonder if it would lose some of its um, appeal to have to redo all the mechanics and um, find a way to modernize what is a game that's very 15th century. But it would, yeah, it would it would definitely make it stand out from what they've done so far. Um, and you know, we were trying to research different plagues through history before we recorded um, to see if if Amicia would have found another um, carrier and protector to help as she sets out to do in that epilogue. And I, I mean, maybe it's possible that if they're sticking with real historic events, she finds a protector and carrier that uh, she was able to help so that the, you know, the plague never spread to the extent that the Black Plague and the um, Justinian plague did prior to that so yeah there's a few different ways they can go with it to either keep Amicia and Sophia and Lucas in the story or to start fresh with something completely new but based on how good this game is I would whatever a Sobo studio does next I'm going to be signing up for it because uh, I'm with you yeah they've won a new they've won themselves a couple of new super fans i think i think so i think so like i cannot speak highly enough of this game and if if we do get a third entry or a spin-off like i wouldn't be upset if that was the last we we had to do with the missia from a a central character standpoint because i think the story that gets told of her experience over these two games and the character and the evolution of her is perfect. It's phenomenal. And if that's it, if that's the story with the bow on full stop, the end. Okay. And then we get another one set in present day society asterisks with a new protector trying to work this out. I wouldn't be upset about it. I'm hoping we get more of it because 
like you said with the Sobo, like, uh, yeah, we're, we're some pretty big fans of what they're doing there. And if they keep going back to this well and, and reinventing the story and, and the location and the time period, I will be, be turning up on day one with bells on. Very excited to see what they've got, uh, what they've got with future entries into this universe. I think that we will get a third one and I hope we do. But yeah, if, if they decide to leave a Miss at home, I think that's more than fine because that girl's been through too much. Yeah, <laughs> it might depend on how the sales go, whether they think there's a demand for for that, or whether they want to try something new. There's so many factors that can go into whether a studio makes a sequel or not. But what what would you think about if they went backwards and they maybe? I mean, we kind of know how the story ends for the original Child of Embers, um, but yeah. They could do an Assassin's Creed kind of thing and, and go back further. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see if, if they wanted to 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 go back and tell more of that origin story with, with Basilius and Aelia. That'd be kind of cool. Even though, yeah, we know ultimately what, what plays out, it doesn't mean you can still not tell a very impactful story Maybe in DLC. that gameplay experience. Yeah, whether it be DLC or a, a more focused, uh, you know, a tighter, tighter game that's not DLC, but it's, you know... A, a smaller a smaller entry into the series maybe it scales back to that 11 hours that uh innocence was mm. but yeah I, I want more of this world i want to know more about the the macula and its origins like how did it come to be it never really got fully explained yeah you know it, it, like yeah basilius is certainly you know patient zero but how did this come about like is there some supernatural elements is there some other stuff at play here that that they haven't really touched on here or there but uh yeah i would love to have more of this uh because i'm full like i've had a great serving of a plague tower requiem right now but i'm ready to go back for seconds anytime it gets served up yeah absolutely there's um and this can kind of double up with with starting to wrap things up but the rats is such a unique mechanic to be able to manipulate them to to have them as either your friend or your foe based on the situation that you're in whether hugo's controlling them whether you're using them to attack other enemies or to kind of uh form a path that you need to get through them like it's such a unique thing compared to your run-of-the-mill third-person stealth adventure game yeah completely agree and on that front really quick before we jump into our respective last words when you do end up having hugo learn to control his his rat powers let's just call them did you use them much because obviously you get a little bar there where it sort of says if you use the macular powers too much and control these rat armies it can lead to hugo's potential demise went the second that little prompt come up i'm I'm, like i'm not touching this i'm not because it was the same thing i thought maybe the story isn't as on rails as i thought so i'm like no way i'm not gonna upset this apple cart so i just sort of stealthed and navigated my way through most things with amicia because i didn't want to to yeah ruin this small kid yeah i used it it was way too much fun not to. <laughs> it was really fun that was the problem like i felt like one of those people that buy collectibles and toys but don't take them out of the box it was like that like i had this rat power just sitting there in the box but i'm like i can't touch it i gotta leave it there it's gonna add more value and it's gonna be better for me if it stays in the box i think if you let that bar get full it would be like a game over like you'd have to, it would, like hugo would be become one with the macula again yeah so 
yeah, I, I used that whenever I came across an enemy that didn't have a lantern, or if I could put out their lantern, then I'd sick the rats on them because it just saved me some ammo uh, in in terms of you know it, those rats could take out heavily armored guards or yeah. whatever. They're pretty overpowered, and it was really cool controlling the swarm and having rat vision, and you're just like flying around yeah. on the ground like a big rat snake. It was yeah, really cool. Climb up walls to an extent mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that so yeah it was cool controlling the rats it, i'm trying to think of other games where you can take over animals and can control them it's always a, a fun little mechanic to throw in yeah yeah but it's usually like a singular entity not a not a whole plague but uh yeah, yeah very yes. very unique <laughs> mechanic in in a plague tale so uh yeah sobo just knocking it out of the park jp what's your last word on a plague tale requiem my last word is that this is my second favorite game this year so far, but the more we talk about it, the closer and closer and closer it edges up to Horizon Forbidden West. I mean, we both loved Horizon. Um, I think I probably had more gripes with Horizon than this, and being such a narrative-based gamer, I think the story in this game is my favorite story this year. And that, it, I don't know. Horizon was so perfectly made in other regards, separate to the main quest that, you know, the, the side quests and, you know, all, all those things just built such an amazing world that edged it up there for me. So I think, you know, it could just be recency bias that I'm, that I'm, tossing and turning but yeah ultimately i've got this as my second favorite game and it could be edged out by god of war um ragnarok very soon so we'll see but it's probably my surprise of the year because i didn't expect to love it i was looking forward to it but i didn't expect it to have a place in my heart you know if my heart has a shelf and i only put a few games on the shelf uh every year because there's only so much room in there then this has now got a spot on the mantelpiece ah that's very sweet i'm (laughs) i'm with you like this game ultimately yeah like we feel pretty confident that ragnarok's going to be a special game too so it feels like it's a three horse race between ragnarok requiem and forbidden west as far as our respective top threes Mm -hmm. and the order they ultimately fall into this game... Sorry, um, Elden Ring fans. <laughs> yeah, like Elden Ring's great. It's it, it's my number four. Like JP yeah. saw the list I've been working on, it's sitting at four. But um, yeah, Horizon looked and played better, but the narrative in Requiem mm-hmm. is far better for me, yeah. especially just the emotional weight that it carries. So it depends on what you're looking for. What do you prioritize yeah. in a game? Very true. But this game is definitely one of the best I've played all year. One of the best I've played in the last several years. And overall, it's got one of the most impactful, emotional stories that I've ever experienced. And I feel I'm going Mm. to talk about this with such high regard for years to come. Like I'm going to look back on the games that have impacted me the most. And this is going to be on that heart-shaped mantle that you mentioned. (laughs) It'll be on my emotional mantelpiece from now until I don't even know when. I don't know what's going to usurp, but I don't think many are going to come out on top of this from an emotional standpoint yeah. and a storytelling perspective. I think like The Walking Dead's first season and the ending of that game is another that's in that 
here with with Clementine and, and Lee. It's again another game where you have a you know a protector relationship. It's it's uh, almost like there's a formula, Brendan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it certainly feels that way now. We're talking about it out loud, yeah. but uh, yeah, Eight Bit Nation, a Plague Tower Requiem, as we've said throughout this last what hundred minutes of uh, record time here. Just about it is a very special game. You need to get your hands on it. It is 8-bit approved. Let us know what you think on the socials or on our Discord. Uh, just hit us up either through the through the public messages there or direct message at we are 8-bit, at Brendan 8-bit, at Jono himself because I'd love to get more impressions and feelings on this game because it's special and the more people that talk about it, the more chance we'll get that third game or more DLC or more content for a Plague Tale because uh, I needs more. I am like <laughs> those rats. I am ravenous right now. I need to consume all of the content. But JP, anything else you want to say before we uh, close this episode down officially? Uh, I'm trying to think of a rat pun, but I got nothing. Keep it cheesy. Rat, rat, radical. <laughs> <laughs> radical man. <laughs> Uh, but yeah 8 Nation thanks as always for stopping on by be sure to rate you subscribe this podcast as well as all the other podcasts you listen to on the regular those ratings and reviews help keep the emotional lanterns on in our hearts and keeps us safe from the macula but mm-hmm. until next time may your stories be spoiler free